I'd like to welcome Dr. Bruce Patterson to Texas Lyme Alliance's event on chronic inflammation. Dr. Patterson is the CEO and founder of DX, a virologist, a pathologist, and was former medical director of diagnostic virology at Stanford University Hospitals and Clinics. Dr. Patterson and his chronic COVID treatment center is combating inflammation in many patients like the Lyme disease community experiences. He was also at the forefront of the HIV epidemic and applied his therapies to other communities such as the chronic COVID community, as well as post-vax COVID and fibromyalgia and MECFS. We welcome Dr. Patterson and thank him for coming to our event today. These are enormous numbers of people who are walking around with chronic inflammation um, and, and we're seeing all of them now. And really, I mean, thanks to long COVID, um, we're starting to see these individuals with chronic inflammation. However, um, not everybody who has um, fatigue, post-exertional malaise, and brain fog and has had COVID, has long COVID. Um, and I think, you know, this is not to detract from all the individuals who are suffering from long COVID, but what it's doing is the COVID pandemic is really exposing the Lyme pandemic that has gone uh, very unrecognized um, to date. Uh, the other thing that we discovered along the way a couple years ago was that vascular inflammation is a common underlying pathology for all these chronic conditions. So I'm going to be talking about two things today. One is how similar diagnostically all these conditions are um, and, and, and what the how similar the pathology is and how similar the treatment can be, but how different uh, they are from a diagnostic standpoint, which allows us to be essentially the only group in the world that can tell the difference between all of these um, inflammatory conditions. You know, my big fear as I, you know, watch other groups um, publish is how did they, how did they diagnose long COVID in that long COVID paper? That's the first question anybody has to ask, because if they're just going on symptoms and the fact that you have symptoms three months post-infection, um, you're not even close to the actual diagnosis. So studies that, that make comparisons and make conclusions without uh, really defining what they're looking at um, can be misleading. Because what happens in acute COVID that most people don't realize is that these patients are supremely immunosuppressed. We published this way back in March of 2020 um, this paper on acute COVID and treating acute COVID with CCR5 antagonists. And what we found in the lower left-hand corner is that patients with acute COVID had CD8 percentages, some in the single digits, but certainly below uh, 20 uh, and in the teens, when normal is 30% of your, your T lymphocytes. Now, not only was there a numerical um, lack of uh, CD8s, those CD8 T cells were immune exhausted, meaning they've been exposed to antigen for an extended period of time 
and, and started not working. The other thing we discovered in this paper was that, um, that the CD8 T cells produced less of a compound called branzyme A, which is an, which almost like a bullet in a gun, is the, how CD8 T cells destroy virally infected cells, uh, intracellular bacterial uh, infected cells, uh, and cancer cells. So this immunodeficiency uh, caused by acute COVID leads to reactivation of the chronic herpes viruses, which have been highly implicated in MECFS, can cause uh, replication of uh, inadequately treated Lyme, and then those bugs uh, come out uh, and start replicating and cause symptoms. So the reality is it's this immunosuppression that leads to um, an exacerbation of MECFS and Lyme, and those symptoms appear right around the same time frame as long COVID, which is two to three months uh, following a, a reactivation event. So to say that you really know who has long COVID by looking at symptoms, like I said, is, is very misleading. And as you can see here, if you look at the symptoms that we first published in, in long COVID, and again, there's probably 200 that people have reported, but fatigue, brain fog, uh, shortness of breath, uh, post-exertional malaise, joint and muscle pain are, are quite common um, in long COVID. And if you overlay the primary symptoms of Lyme, fatigue, brain fog, joint and muscle pain, insomnia, um, it, it's almost identical, as is uh, if I overlaid this chart with MECFS. Now we have a study that's pending uh, and undergoing peer review where we show that post-vaccination individuals with long COVID symptoms in the absence of being infected by COVID um, have brain fog, fatigue, neuropathy, joint and muscle aches. Very, very similar once again, and uh, it's common in just about all of the different vaccine types. So we're dealing with these enormous cohort of patients that all present uh, mostly with fatigue, brain fog, and the inability to have any kind of activity. So we really launched the first uh, long COVID diagnostic last September when we achieved CEIVD uh, regulatory approval in Europe. Um, we've since uh, submitted uh, all our data to the FDA in the United States, and we can um, we have several reference labs who have validated this test under the CLIA rules and are offering this to patients throughout the United States. And the first question was when we launched this test, well, how do you interpret it? And you know, our first response, well, in, in the chronic COVID treatment center, we'll take this data and we'll put it through our algorithms, which we still do. However, um, in, in submitting our data to the FDA, um, we, we were very careful um, and looked at um, several different algorithms, including one that is solely based on what we call the long hauler index or LHI, which I'll show you in a minute, which makes interpretation of the results so much easier, not only uh, for the chronic COVID treatment center and the nine physicians that we employ, but also um, for all the general physicians out there and physicians who are treating MECFS, Lyme, uh, etc. 
again, uh, through a deal with SINLAB, which is one of the biggest uh, laboratories in Europe, um, reference laboratories, they have, they cover all the countries you see on the left, uh, including Brazil, Latin America, etc. And we just announced through a press release a couple days ago that we signed a deal with Helios in Australia and Southeast Asia to bring the test to um, that region of the world. So we're really global right now, um, in addition to having obviously uh, access to this test uh, in the United States. Uh, and we're trying to spread the word about how to interpret the test so that um, the, you know, the general practitioners and the PCPs can understand how to use it. But most importantly, how did we um, determine uh, that this was a long COVID diagnostic? Well, uh, our bioinformatics guys using machine learning and AI developed two algorithms. On the horizontal axis uh, is the long hauler index, which is interferon gamma plus interleukin-2 divided by CCL4. And on the uh, vertical axis is the severity score, which we used for acute COVID and now we've integrated into some of our algorithms to distinguish between Lyme, MECFS, uh, and long COVID. And you can see it in yellow, all the patients who have long COVID. Uh, in red are the patients that have post-vaccination long hauler symptoms. And in blue are the patients that have MECFS. Uh, I think you can see from this visual, uh, what I'll be telling you in a moment is that they have similar aspects and they have differences and we can take advantage of the differences diagnostically to discriminate between all of those different classes. And that's what we just submitted um, to the FDA um, and we're, it's gonna be the basis of uh, a, a new paper. And that is we have the ability over on the left uh, table um, to distinguish PASC from a group called not perturbed. Well, that's not perturbed. That's a great question. Well, it's a composite of healthy controls and patients with mild to moderate acute COVID. In other words, we have the ability during the pandemic or during uh, the fact that we still have uh, many, many acute COVID cases. And frankly, right now I'm surrounded by about eight people who have long, uh, who have acute COVID. So it's not going away anytime soon. Um, we're just not thinking about it as much. But the fact is we needed a diagnostic that wouldn't be affected with either false positives or false negatives by somebody who may have subclinical or very mild uh, acute COVID. And that's what we achieved here. We were able to have 97% sensitivity and 100% specificity for long COVID um, compared to normals and patients with uh, mild to, to moderate uh, acute COVID. So then we went on to ask the question, well, what if uh, we are looking at a population that may contain uh, MECFS or chronic fatigue, Lyme, long COVID, um, and, um, you know, and post-vaccination long haulers. And we developed algorithms that allowed us to still maintain high sensitivity and very high specificity for all these conditions uh, when they're mixed together. So that's our ability to discriminate between uh, these chronic inflammatory conditions. And the fact is, look at the results with Lyme. 
if we had no long COVID, we would be out talking about this new approach to screening for Lyme disease. Um, and again, we're not looking for individual organisms like Borrelia, Bartonella, Babesia, et cetera. But we're saying this looks like um, post-treatment uh, Lyme disease. And I'll show you exactly how we do that. And that's here. Um, we really never um, talked about this much because this is behind the scenes. The raw data from the reports that you may receive from Radiance and soon to be from Hygienix uh, really shows how we decide um, what um, chronic inflammatory condition you have um, based on non-subjective means and not based on patient history. You may come in and say, oh, I, I have long COVID. And this is going to be built directly into the laboratory um, information system so that it'll generate a report that says you have an 88% probability of having long COVID, you have a 9% probability of having Lyme, you have a 2% probability of having MECFS, and, and that is going to be an incredible tool for the clinicians because they're all treated differently. So I'll get into that in a moment, but the long and short of it is if they, if they have Lyme um, uh, and what we'll talk about next, which is vascular inflammation, we may add antibiotics or, or Bartonella therapy to you know, how we're treating vascular inflammation. If it's MECFS, we may add uh, an anti-herpes viral medication in addition to treating the uh, immune system. But the bottom line is we've developed these algorithms to tell the difference. And what have they generated? Well, this is what's so exciting. And just last week and two days of telemedicine, I probably picked up six people who had Lyme that was later confirmed by Lyme testing um, using these algorithms who didn't know they had Lyme. So, you know, we're starting to identify all the people who are walking around you know, out there who don't feel good. You know, they have fatigue that they can't get over. They, you know, people have called them uh, MECFS or chronic fatigue because it's really a diagnosis of exclusion. Hey, if you're fatigued, we can't find anything else, you have MECFS. Well, you know what? They may have Lyme. And so what we look for is uh, in our 14 marker panel is Elevation of interleukin-8 plus interferon gamma can be Lyme. Interleukin-13 plus interferon gamma can be Lyme. And a long hauler index greater than 7.1 can be Lyme. And as I showed you, using this uh, in our algorithms, we have been spot on with almost 100% sensitivity and almost 100% specificity in detecting Lyme in a mixed population of Lyme, long COVID, MECFS, uh, fibromyalgia, and others. The other one thing that we do caution is if there's elevations of interleukin-8, that is the key, interleukin-8 is a key differentiator from someone who has long COVID and from the virus and someone who has long COVID symptoms potentially from, from the vaccine. The big differentiator is of course interferon, which has always been known be elevated in uh, in Lyme disease. What else are we looking for? Well, as part of our cheat sheet, 
We are looking for this triad of markers, SCD40L elevation, CCL5 or Ranty's elevation, and VEGF uh, elevation, which is the triad of vascular in inflammation or endotheliitis, as I'll show in a moment. You know, two out of three of these, um, and we're almost guaranteed that vascular in, uh, inflammation is at play. We verify that when we talk to patients and confirm that they have hot cold insensitivity, they're cold all the time, you know, they're fatigued, post-exertional malaise, et cetera. Those are hallmarks of the elevation of these biomarkers in vascular inflammation. So while long COVID, Lyme, and other inflammatory diseases are difficult to diagnose because of overlapping symptoms, understanding these immunologic mechanisms has really been the key to effective treatment, as I'll show in a minute. Now, our hypothesis is, like we discovered in, um, in long COVID, where the SARS-CoV-2 S1 protein persists in long-lived monocytic subsets, Similarly, the peptidoglycan cell wall of Borrelia um, is uh, not only persists, but may be disseminated by monocyte uh, subsets similar to the mechanisms we discovered in long COVID. And the thing to remember is these monocyte subsets um, are really long lived. Uh, and people you know, always say on social media or something, well, when they looked it up, um, you know, they live for a week or 10 days. Well, that's in normal people. Um, when they're presenting antigen, it short circuits their apoptosis pathway, which is the pathway that causes cell death. And they live for long, you know, long periods of time, so months, years, maybe even decades um, in, in post-treatment Lyme disease. And these cells cross the blood-brain barrier they cause vascular inflammation both in the periphery uh, and in the brain, and they cause all the symptoms uh, that, that many of you are suffering from. Uh, this is how we detect it. Uh, we're coming up with a Lyme diagnostic that's very similar for the um, Borrelia cell wall, where in blue, these are non-classical monocytes, and in this box, um, these are S1 positive non-classical monocytes. In the middle are intermediate monocytes. Um, they also carry uh, S1 protein and very little, if any, uh, in classical monocytes. And this is our uh, immunoquant S1 assay. It's available at Radiance now and, and uh, soon to be in SynLab in Europe and around the world and now um, you know, in uh, Igenix uh, in California. And what is it about these non-classical monocytes that, that leads to uh, vascular inflammation? Well, non-classical monocytes bind to endothelial cells or the lining of blood vessels through a protein called fractalkine. These monocytes express the fractalkine receptor, and of course, bind to the blood vessels, <laughs> are internalized into the blood vessels and cause inflammation. And that inflammation, uh, as you can see uh, down in the middle, consists of a, what's called a Th1 response. Well, Th1 cytokines uh, are interferon gamma, interleukin-2, for instance, which happened to be the numerator of our long hauler index, which was developed using machine learning and AI. Machine learning and AI was unaware 
that this paper showing what I show in this slide was published in 2004. So fascinating how effective machine learning is when it uh, can actually look at data and pull out something um, that is related to a particular disease and then you go back and search the literature and in fact it, it, it aligns with what's been published even two decades ago. Here's another graph which shows on the far left a monocyte binding to fractalkine. Well, what does that do downstream in the endothelial cell? Well, it causes angiogenesis, which is driven by the overexpression of VEGF, and it causes vasodilatation, which creates the head fullness, headaches, migraines, POTS, and brain fog that you see in long COVID, Lyme, and ME-CFS. The reason for vasodilatation doing that is that when the blood vessels dilate, um, you have uh, more blood to your periphery, uh, you have um, increased blood flow to your brain, um, and you get uh, hot cold insensitivity, so poor temperature regulation when your blood vessels are inflamed. Um, you have headaches and migraines because, of course, they're caused by dilated blood vessels, not by constricted blood vessels, as a lot of us tend to think and POTS, which is nothing more than dilated blood vessels transiently dropping your blood pressure, and then a drop in blood pressure leads to compensatory increases in heart rate. So POTS is not something inherently wrong with your heart. It's just doing exactly what it should be doing, and it's doing it in the face of inflammation. Yet every, um, every physician you go to loves to say that people with chronic inflammation have POTS as if it's something unique and something uh, unsuspected. But in fact, uh, because of the vasodilatation, it's very much you know, expected. So we can take some of the mystery uh, behind POTS uh, out of the equation. So how do we treat this thing? Well, uh, the key really is to focus on the immunologic mechanisms of inflammation. Um, and define the pathways involved, and then use drugs that actually address and target those pathways. So in fact, you know, infections typically lead to an inflammation, that includes COVID. Inflammation leads to symptoms, as I'll show you in a moment. And the key is we're the only group that's actually showed that if you decrease uh, inflammation with targeted uh, drugs, you decrease symptoms. So we've closed this loop. And I would say that all the people publishing about autoantibodies need to close this loop. You know, a lot, there's a lot of reports out there saying this autoantibody related to this or this marker related to X, Y, or Z. Um, but what they really need to show is that when I bring that marker down, these symptoms X, Y, Z go down. And that's exactly what we did in this trial or in this paper, which was published two months ago, where we actually looked at symptom scores, uh, Rankin, which is neuro, Compass 31, which is dysautonomia, NH, uh, NYHA, which is cardiac, shortness of breath, but most importantly, the fatigue score and fatigue score severity, we found has a very strong correlation 
with expression of TNF-alpha and interleukin-2 with very low statistically significant p-values. We are very surprised um, in this paper when we use Maravroc and Prevostatin that we were expecting the fatigue score to go down in these individuals, but all five of these um, symptom scores went down in a six to 12 week period. Um, and that is leading to InCellDX's um, randomized clinical trial. Um, we just uh, are about to present or submit our trial design to the FDA. It will be a phase three. Um, and uh, we, uh, we're, we're looking at somewhere around 500 patients. It won't be very long uh, trial because it is a five, it, it is a phase three trial, solely looking for efficacy. Um, and then once we complete this trial, the plan is to move on to uh, Lyme because really these two drugs target that fractal kind um, driven uh, uh, vascular inflammation pathway, which is common to all four of those inflammatory conditions. Long COVID, Lyme, MECFS, fibromyalgia, and post-vaccination uh, long haulers. So again, in this paper published two months ago, we showed statistically significant difference decreases in SCD40L, which is uh, the first protein made in the thrombotic cascade in the blood vessels. Interleukin-2 came down statistically significantly, as did um, CCL5 or RANTES, TNF-alpha, the leading cause of fatigue, uh, and VEGF. All those markers came down uh, in this uh, 20 patient study that was published two months ago. And then, like I said, all the symptoms scores came down before and after treatment. All of them were statistically significant uh, decreases uh, in the symptom scores. So that really led us to um, this study where we extended those 20 patients to 314 patients pre and post Maravarac and Prevostatin. And again, the numbers and p-values held up where we saw, for instance, with the long hauler index, uh, four times 10 to the minus six p-value. What does that mean? It means that four in a million uh, chance of this decrease being caused by chance. So these data are very real. The, uh, the FDA um, guidelines for um, you know for approval is five times ten to the minus two, which is five chances in a hundred um, would we'll, get approval, and we're at four chances in a million that this data could be by chance. So in summary, monocytes and CCL5 rantes appear to be a common link uh, in post-infectious conditions that drive chronic inflammation. This new analytical approach using immune biomarkers can uh, allow us to identify uh, di and diagnose diseases such as post-Lyme, um, MECFS, uh, and, and, and others, and guide us into how to treat them. And we're pioneering a new way to manage patients suffering from chronic inflammation using a robust uh, symptom tracking system combined with our novel sh uh, machine learning uh, driven diagnostics um, to really uh, look at non-subjectively what patients are going through. Uh, and that's the advantage that we have.